Last week we began looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. A letter where he begins by talking to them, as we saw last week in verses 1 through 6. And if you weren't here, I hope you'll go back and and read those at some point. But now, uh, today in verses 7 through 14, he continues to talk to them about the blessings that they have in Christ. And we talked last week about how God has chosen us in Christ Jesus. If we are His children, if we know Him, if we have repented of our sins and believed in His name, He has chosen us as heirs. He has chosen us as His children. And the Bible portrays that fact as a great spiritual blessing. That God has loved us enough that even though we are sinful even though we fall far short of his glory he has looked down on us with great favor and he's shown us immeasurable mercy and paul picks up on that theme today he continues through it and so if you're there in ephesians chapter one i'm going to begin reading in verse seven i invite you to stand with me uh, this morning in reverence to god's word I've thought a few times this week as I have looked at this lesson or looked at this sermon and also I wrote our lag lesson for this week. Um, we could have spent all week in verse 7. So it's so good. Just follow along with me beginning there. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. I hope this morning... The Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of his word. In him we have redemption. In him we have redemption. Paul starts this paragraph by telling us, if you remember back from last week, if you read through those first six verses, he says time after time, in him. In Christ, in the Beloved, in love. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. And so he starts out this paragraph no different. He says, in Him we have redemption. What does that mean? What does it mean to have redemption? What it means is that we needed to be redeemed. 
There was something going on in our life, and for some of you this morning, there is something still going on in your life that you need to be redeemed from. What it means is that we were owned by something else. And through Christ, we have been bought. We have been purchased. We have been delivered from that thing that owned us. What is it? Well, he, he tells us, we'll skip through his blood for a minute, we'll come back to that, but he says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What the Bible makes very clear, and you can go all the way back, you can start in Genesis 1, and you do not read many verses until you come to the point where you find out that we do something that is against what God has told us to do. You get to Genesis chapter 3 and you see that Adam and Eve are there and they're in the garden. And God has given them everything. He has told them that everything is good. He has made everything good. He has told them that everything is permissible. They can do whatever. They were given great freedom. But God had one commandment, one rule. And He said, listen, there is this tree and I, I don't want you to eat from this tree. Was this tree something special? I, I don't think so. But God has created us not for our own glory, not for our own well-being, but He created us for Himself. He, he wanted a creation. God needed nothing. He, he, he had no need for us, but He looked out and He said, I want them. And so He begins to speak in Genesis chapter 1, and He begins to create everything that is. And He looks at the people that He created, and He said, I've got this one rule in Genesis makes it out like they ran straight to do what God said not to. That is almost when they heard it, that's what they had to go do, is do the opposite of what God had told them to do. They trespassed. They broke God's law. They broke God's rule. He had just one and so, because they had done that, and because they had ultimately sinned against Him, they needed forgiveness. And if you keep reading through the Old Testament, what you see is man's constant attempt to get to God. Man's constant attempt to find out how he can be pleasing to God. As a matter of fact, if you go out into the world today and you look at the religions of this world and you look at the philosophies of this world, centrally what they are trying to do is tell us, okay, this is how we can get to God. This is how we can make God look at us in a pleasing manner. And what they do is they leave us feeling very empty. Because try as we might, we cannot figure out a way to get to God. We cannot work hard enough. We cannot strive hard enough to get there. Because every time we attempt to do that, what we end up doing is falling short. Because none of us, regardless of what our view of God is, none of us put God looking anything like us. And we have enough trouble pleasing people. How do we please God? That's why Paul tells the church at Ephesus that it is not in any shape or form about what you have done, but in Him we have redemption. Redemption being the forgiveness of our trespasses. God has graciously forgiven us. We didn't do anything to earn it. How did it happen? 
He says, through His blood. Through His blood, we have redemption. If you keep reading in your Bible and you make it through the Old Testament, if you can make it through the Old Testament, and that's a burden in and of itself, you get to the book of Matthew. And you begin reading about this child who is born, and he is born in a strange way. He is not the son of a man, but the son of the Holy Spirit. And we read about his life, and we see him doing good things. We see that he is a a nice guy. We see that he performs these miracles. And we come to the end of Matthew, and we come to the end of Mark and Luke and John, and they all end the same way. This man is taken out, and he is killed. His blood is shed. And the Bible says that on the third day, after he had been put in the grave, he arose from the dead. God conquered the grave. But it's so odd. Why would he have to die? And if we reflect back on what we just saw as we read through the Old Testament, again, assuming we made it through, we might have skipped a little bit of Leviticus and that sort of thing. We see time after time God requiring blood. We go all the way back to Genesis, and what is the punishment? You have sinned, you have disobeyed me, so you shall surely die. And then time after time after time after time, the punishment for disobeying God is death. Not because God is an evil God, not because God is mean and He sits up on His throne with His long white beard and He strikes people down with lightning bolts. That's not what happens. But rather because God says, I created you perfect. I am perfect and holy and I demand that you be the same. So we get to Ephesians and Paul says we couldn't do it. We couldn't make it on our own. We couldn't redeem ourselves. We were the slaves to sin. How would we buy ourselves out? And he says, but Christ has redeemed us. Christ has bought us through His blood. And this is the sign of His ultimate grace. There at the end of verse 7. According to the riches of His grace. Into verse 8. Which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. When you read through the Bible, you, you get this unmistakable sense that it's all building toward something. That it's all building toward an event. God keeps sticking with these people who keep disobeying Him, who keep needing His forgiveness. He, he stays with them. He keeps providing them forgiveness. He keeps showing them His love. Why does He do this? It all seems to be building toward something. When we get to the New Testament, we see what it's been building toward. We see what God has been doing since the beginning of time in preparing the world for Christ. And he, Paul says that here. He says not only has He given us the riches of His grace, He has lavished them upon us, but they have been in wisdom and insight. How else could it be but that God directed all of this for all of these things to fall into place? From Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. It all fell into place because Christ 
has come to redeem us because God has been working throughout history to prepare us for that point when Christ would come and offer us forgiveness. Humanity tried and tried and tried and they failed and failed. And listen, people are still doing that today, but God's salvation is about His redemption. About Him stepping out of eternity. Coming and dwelling among those who needed His forgiveness. And offering them that forgiveness through His blood. You know, the unfortunate thing in the day and age in which we live is that this idea that God would ultimately punish His Son for our sin has become greatly offensive. People don't want to hear it. They they say, that doesn't make sense. Why would God do that? He seems to be so mean. But if we have experienced it, what we see is His ultimate holiness. That what He has done in punishing His Son on our behalf, in laying our sin on Christ, on the cross, is that we now can have redemption and forgiveness. It wasn't working any other way. He is both God and the sacrifice at the same time. And we need to realize this morning that we have to be redeemed. If you're here and you don't know Christ, the the ultimate problem that you have is with the sin in your life, with your disobedience toward God. I know because that's my ultimate problem. It's not a problem of psychology or psychiatry. It's not a problem of needing to be well somehow health-wise. But rather, it's, it's a problem that we have in our heart that we need forgiveness. As human beings, we have a hard time with this because we ultimately want to be right. We ultimately want to be justified in our own mind. We don't see a need for forgiveness because we don't believe that we've done anything wrong. Our society tells us that we have not done anything wrong. That we're at our core good people. But the Bible tells us that all of us are sinful. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. And what He has called on us to do is to turn our life from ourselves and turn our lives over to Him. So salvation is about redemption. It's it's also about, as we get to verse 9, it's also about this mystery. He says... If you go all the way back, because Paul writes sentences that are very, very long, and they seem to go on for entire paragraphs. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God, in working out this plan, He has now, in Christ, made this plan known. You hear sometimes those who, who are Christians, and, and you know, they're the, everybody knows what super Christians are, right? Those are the people that are a lot better than any of us. I mean, they're super Christians. They read their Bible like 25 or 26 hours a day. 
they pray for another 20 or 30. I mean, that type of, of person. Not like any of us. But sometimes you hear those people make a very, it's a very profound and spiritual statement. They'll say something like, and I've been guilty of this, though I'm not one of those super Christians. I can't read my Bible 25 hours a day. You know, I'm going to really do something for God when I know His will. I want to I seek after God's will for my life, and when I figure that out, I'm going to be able to do something. Maybe we've told the teenagers that. You know, pray, pray that God would show you His will. I want to tell you that in some sense we, we might be overthinking that a little bit. Why? Well, he tells us here, Paul has, that, that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. He has made known the mystery of his will according to the purpose that he set forth in Christ. God has shown us that from the beginning, as a matter of fact, we see throughout the scriptures him talk about before the foundation of the world, somewhere in eternity past, before God spoke and created all of this, he had a plan. God is not just wandering through life with no direction, not sure where he's going, unsure of what's going to happen next. God doesn't sit around surprised about us and what we do. He knows. He made us. He's seen what we're capable of, and he knows where we're going. But we who are believers in Christ have had made known to us the mystery of his will. Everyone is going throughout history and they don't know where things are going and then boom! Christ shows up. On the night when the angels are singing to the shepherds and the wise men see the star and begin making their journey and Mary and Joseph are there in the manger and Christ is born. In that moment, the mystery begins to become very clear. Now it takes about 33 more years, but when Christ dies and when He is raised from the dead, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit begins to show the disciples what Christ had said. He begins to help them understand what He had been saying. All of a sudden, this mystery, what is God doing, what is happening, it becomes very clear. And what is His will? Look in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Do you want to know? It doesn't take a 13-week Bible study. It doesn't take 35 hours a day in prayer. It doesn't take a seminary degree or multiple seminary degrees. Paul tells us right here that his plan is for the fullness of time. It's an eternal plan. It's a plan that is working toward when Christ is coming back. It's a plan to unite all things in Him, in heaven and on earth. His plan for your life is for you to tell other people that He has a plan for the world and He is bringing everything together in Him. Not some things... Not a few things here or there. He is working for all things. 
So that, that means his will for you is not one for you to be a bum. It's not for you to sit on the couch all the time and not do anything for his service. It's not for you to live like you're in the world. His plan is for you to tell other people about him. His plan is for you to go into the world and tell those who are perishing, hey, there is something better. There is a way to be redeemed through his blood. Now how that works out, I think God just wants you to do it. I really think God just wants you to, wants you to do it. It's not about sitting around and waiting, okay, God, I hope that you will call me to be a preacher one day, or God, I, I know this person who is lost, I, I wonder if you want me to tell them about you. The answer is yes, he does. God, I, I know these people over here who are hurting and need your gospel. God, do you think I should go talk to them? Yes, he does. That's what he wants for us. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's equipped us for. Not to sit around and try to figure it out. Does that mean that I'm a perfect example? A few months ago, God spoke very loudly into our life and said, I want you to leave Rutherford County and I want you to go to Burke County. The long journey over South Mountain. The wilderness that's there, and I've seen it. We drove through there just on Friday, and it's a wilderness between here and there. I want you to go through the wilderness to Burke County. But do you realize that ultimately God's will for my life has so little to do with where I am at and so much to do with what I am doing? His will, I know in my life, is to do this and, and at this time it's here, and at another time it may be somewhere else, but this is what he has called me to do. It's because he's called all of us to proclaim the gospel. Don't spend your life trying to figure out what he's called you to do when he has already made it abundantly clear in Christ. We have been given the plan of the mystery of his will. It's interesting, if you look in the Gospel of Mark, and it's in the notes for your lag lesson, you might turn there. Time after time, Jesus' identity is presented as a mystery. But after the resurrection, it's all made clear. It's no longer a mystery to us what God wants us to do. He has given it to us plainly. Thirdly, verse 11 Salvation is about redemption. Salvation is about knowing the mystery of his will. Thirdly, salvation is about having an inheritance. In him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. He uses that phrase again, in Him. 
In Him we have redemption. In Him we know the mystery of His will. In Him we have an inheritance. Without Him we have no inheritance. Without Him we have no future. There is nothing ahead. There is no promise of things to come. Inheritances are tricky things. As most of you know, right before I came here, my grandmother was, was moved into a, a nursing facility. And now there's all the questions about, about her her property. And my grandmother and my grandfather were not wealthy people. As a matter of fact, I don't remember my grandmother ever having a job. My grandfather was a factory worker until he retired, and they've got a little trailer that sits up there with an old house behind it. And the old house behind it, the floor is caving in and the roof is not very good. It's where my dad grew up. There was no heat. There was no air. And that's it. That's what she's got. It's just a little bit. It's where they've lived for 60-some years. But it's amazing how once someone goes into a nursing home, and once those bills begin to rack up, and there are hospital bills, and there's all that stuff, that it becomes so complicated to deal with an inheritance. Because the state wants their part, and the nursing home wants their part, and the kids would like to get a little something, and, and... There's so much to deal with. And in the end, it almost becomes more pain than it's really worth. Having to deal with all of that. I want to tell you that that's not the inheritance that Jesus is talking about. It's not an inheritance that is fought over by Medicare and Medicaid in a nursing home. But this is an inheritance given to us by God. What's it look like? Well, first, how do we get it? He says, we get it by having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. I mentioned this last week. How does God make decisions? He talks to Himself. God's not schizophrenic. God doesn't have multiple personality disorder. But rather, who else would He talk to? You can look in the book of Job and you see this great debate going on between Job and his friends. And all of a sudden, near the end of the book, here steps God into the debate. And he he looks at Job, and he asks Job about Job's ability to counsel him. And he begins to go through a list that seems to go on page after page after page. And God asks Job time and time again, Were you there when this happened? Were you there when I created this? Were you there when this event occurred? And each and every time, it's a rhetorical question because Job has no answer. And so Job gets to the end and he realizes, I I got nothing. I've got nothing I can offer. I have got no counsel that I can give. And so God gives us an inheritance with Without our counsel, he he shows us his love without our counsel. He didn't consult us. And it's a good thing, too, because how quickly we could have messed that up. He gives us this inheritance so that, why? Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul has to see himself in this statement. Paul, who was... So sinful. Paul, who was so rebellious against God, and yet he realizes that he was one of the first. 
He was one of the first to hope in Christ, and his hope will not bring him glory. It won't bring Paul honor. It will bring God honor. When you and I place our faith and trust in hope, when we respond to his call to salvation, it brings God honor. Friends, it brings me low because I question why. I look at my life and my heart and I wonder, God, why? Why would you do this for me? But in the end, people can look at my life and see what God has done and it brings Him glory. People can look at your life and realize what God has called you out of and it brings God glory. It brings Him praise. It's about an inheritance. He finishes up the inheritance idea in the last passages of this text when he says that we are sealed. Look at this, verse 13. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, there's, there's two here. In Him when you heard, and in Him when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. The Holy Spirit, he says in verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require it, and look there again, to the praise of His glory. He says, you first heard... You heard God's Word. Salvation came through no other method. You might say, well, I was reading my Bible. Well, we're going to call that heard God's Word. Because somebody else heard it and wrote it down for you and you, you read it. When you heard God's Word, salvation comes through hearing the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we as a church always protect that sacred thing that we always are about proclaiming God's word and not something else not something false not something worthless he says but when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation the good news that Christ has come the good news that we were created perfect but that we have fallen but God has sent Christ to redeem us the good news of the gospel. He says when all that happened, when you, when you heard the good news, when you heard the word and you believed, it's not more complicated than that. It's not, it's not some, again, 13-week, 12-step Bible study, but it's about hearing God's word, hearing what God has done in Christ and believing in that. He says you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know, going back to the inheritance. So many times what happens when people who are not real wealthy get to the end of their life. They have to go into a nursing facility. And it's very expensive. Very, very expensive. And most of the time what will happen is before very long it will exhaust all their assets. They'll spend all the money they've got They'll blow through retirements and 401ks and it'll be gone. And all they have left is their home. And many times, 
if, if you've not done something to legally get around this, when that person passes away, their home is going to be, um, it'll have a lien put against it by, the, by Medicaid, and they'll come in, and they'll, they'll get the revenues when it's sold to pay back what they paid for, for the nursing home. And so unless you're just tremendous at planning and get pretty fortunate, we don't have a lot left at the end of our lives. You know, we're born with nothing, we die with nothing, that's pretty good. But all, all of us would like to leave something to our children, but it's easier said than done. What God does for us, he gives us this inheritance, but he doesn't let us squander it, right? I mean, imagine we, we know the story of the prodigal son, and while that story is mainly about the sinful brother who, who stays behind and is angry, think about what the brother who leaves does. He goes off and he has his inheritance and he blows all of it to the point where he's starving. And truly, if you and I had our way with the freedom that we have in Christ and his forgiveness, we would squander it. We would make a mess of it. We would become proud because of it. We would boast not in Christ, but in, in our inheritance. But Paul tells us here that when we heard the word of truth and when we believed in the gospel of our salvation, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? God has sent the Holy Spirit not only to give us power in Christ, not only so that we can hear the Father, not only so that our prayers are communicated to God, not only so that when we pick up our Bible, the Holy Spirit impresses upon us what we're reading, but the Holy Spirit has been given to us to guard our hearts. He has been given to us to guard us from squandering our inheritance, from messing it up. Because look, look at how the inheritance is portrayed. If you go back a few verses, it's portrayed as something we have here and now. We have obtained an inheritance. It's come to us. We've been given it. But look what he says in verse 14. Until we acquire possession of it. We've been given something now. It's why, again, we don't sit on our couches as bums, not doing anything for the work of the Lord. It's why we're stirred when we see injustice in the world, when we see hatred. It's why we commit ourselves to spreading the gospel and to praying and to reading our Bibles. That is why. But there's also something to come. There's something that God has placed out there. Something that we have to look forward to. Something that Isaiah saw in chapter 6 when the angels flying around. Six wings. And they sing day and day and the next and the next. Holy, holy, holy. We have something that is ahead of us. Something that we can see in our future. But it's something that we would never get to on our own. It's something that we would never lay hold of on our own. But what the Holy Spirit has done is sealed us for that inheritance. 
He has sealed our hearts so that as we go through our life and we are increasingly closer to what is ahead, we will have it available and guaranteed for us when we take possession of it. It's coming ahead. With our salvation, we have been redeemed. We have had the mystery of God made known to us. God has sealed us in the Spirit for this great inheritance. But look how he ends the opening of his letter. He says, to the praise of his glory. This phrase shows us God's infinite power and might. His infinite ability to preserve for us an inheritance that we could not maintain on our own. It shows us His infinite power and ability to redeem us from our sin. See, ultimately, His work in calling us, adopting us, saving us, and guaranteeing our inheritance brings glory to His holy name. Some of you are here this morning and you don't know Christ. You don't know Him. You have no inheritance. You, you have none of that. It's just, you don't have it. You're sitting there knowing that you don't have it. Let me encourage you that we, we've all been sitting there before. And oftentimes we don't respond to God's Word because we are concerned about the person around us. We are concerned about everything going on. We are concerned about a myriad of things that do not matter. God has done everything that He has done. Everything. From the point where we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or when we go to John and we see in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. When we go to the end of the book of Revelation and we see a new heaven and a new earth and Christ boldly proclaims, I am coming quickly. What we see is that God has done all of this for the praise of His name. He has done all of this for the glory of His name. But He's also done all of this because He wanted to be with you. He had no reason in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to speak. He had no reason to speak out of eternity and create all that is except that He wanted to be with you. If you're here this morning and you do not know Him, Would you respond to His Word that says, Come to Me. Come to Me. Turn from your disobedience. Turn from your trespasses. I have taken care of those through the blood of Christ. Those are forgiven. Come to Me and believe. That's what Christ is calling out to us. For the rest of you here who are believers, 
to me, this passage is so challenging. One, it shows us who God is. It shows us His love and His mercy above us. And it it calls us to respond. It calls us to live a life that is worthy of what God has done. Christ has made a way for sinners. And you and I as His children should want to extend His family to the end of the earth. Will we respond? Not by coming to an invitation. Not by coming down front and praying. Although those those things are very appropriate. But will we respond tomorrow? Will we respond when we have a chance to go on a mission trip? Will we respond when we meet someone and we know? We know they need Christ. Will we respond with our families? Will we respond with our children? Will we respond to what God has called us to do? Will we listen? And will we make known His redemption? Will we make known that the mystery of His will has been revealed? Will we make known that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, First Peter says, and unfading and undefiled that is guarded for us forever. Will we proclaim that? Will we tell others about the goodness of Christ? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we God, we stand amazed. We stand amazed that you you have given us life, you have given us forgiveness, you have given us redemption. And you've done so through the blood of your son. You offer us God, you offer us your mercy. You offer us your grace. God, I just pray that this morning we would respond. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing, and as we do, would you respond however God has spoken to you. Maybe you don't know him this morning and you, you need him. I would love to tell you how, how I met him and how you can know him. Maybe you need to respond because you know that this great inheritance you have, you keep to yourself. And you need to be more obedient with sharing. Maybe you want to join our church. Maybe you want to be a part of what God is doing here. Be be a member of this body as we reach out. Whatever it is this morning that God is speaking to you, would you respond as we sing?